Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Megan Morgan, and she's an author, a yoga teacher, a podcast host, and guess what, guys? She's had three near-death experiences, and I'm enthralled with this woman's story. So, Megan, welcome to my show. Thank you. Good morning. I'm really excited to be here and so happy that we connected and you extended this invitation. Absolutely. You and I met through a Facebook group and uh, you connected with me and said, hey, listen, I've had a near-death experience. In fact, I've had three. And I was like, what? (laughs) So so I was like, well, I have to have you on my show and you and I've had a little bit of correspondence, but I really don't know that much about what's happened with you. So can you kind of give me the first, second, and third near-death experience, and we'll just kind of go from there and see how it goes. Absolutely. So the first three experiences, three completely different circumstances, different ages. So I was 19, just about 25, Mm -hmm. and 29. It was actually the day after my 29th birthday was the the third experience. And it's just crazy. I've had people ask me, like, do you have a heart condition or something? I'm like, no, it was (laughs) like three totally different experiences. And the first instance, I was swimming in Lake Huron. Um, so I grew up in southern Ontario, Canada, on the border with Michigan. Okay. So we, we share a part of Lake Huron with the United States. And I spent a lot of time in the U.S. actually as a, a kid, and I live there now. But we'll get to that later. Sure. So I'm swimming in Lake Huron with my then boyfriend, and it was a rough day. Uh, people tend not to think of lakes as having, you know, strong undertow or, or big waves, but they do occasionally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this was one of those days. And I'm a strong swimmer. And I was kind of like, I don't know if we should go out there. But he really wanted to go out. There's a sandbar. You know, that was the goal. Get to the sandbar. Looks like you're standing up in the middle of the lake. And I got out there. And it was way too powerful for me. And, you know, I'm nearly six feet tall and, and very strong. And I couldn't fight that undertow and and kept getting waves washed over my head. And one wave, just too many, like three in a row, knocked me under. And then we have these things. I don't know if it's the correct term anymore, but when I was growing up, they're like these metal bars that go out into the middle of the lake to break the waves. And we we called them groins at the time. And I'm not sure if they're still called that anymore, but it's supposed to help protect property. So that third wave that washed over me slammed me into one of those cast iron like metal fences and everything it just turned white is I guess the best way I can describe it and I started sinking in the water and was completely paralyzed by fear like I realized what was happening and I I couldn't move my body I couldn't Mm. fight the undertow and as I'm sinking towards the bottom of the lake and I felt my shoulder my back hit the rocks and I'm looking up and I can see the sunlight streaming through the water and thinking like if I'm down here I'm not breathing like you know I lost all sense of time and there was so much fear and then all of a sudden I realized I wasn't moving and I wasn't breathing mm. and the thought of it didn't panic me anymore like all of a sudden it just wasn't scary anymore and I could just see the waves rolling overhead and see the things going by and it just didn't scare me and so as I'm looking up to the top of the water and seeing the sun shining through it turned dark into like a long tunnel and at the end of the tunnel was a bright light and I've, I've since found out that a lot of people have this experience of moving through a tunnel but to me 
at 19 years old in 93, I want to say that was, I started moving up the tunnel towards the light. But at the same time, it also felt like I was moving through the water towards the surface. It's kind of hard to explain. It felt like I was in, yeah, it felt like I was in two places at once. And then right as I approached the end of the tunnel towards what looked like a big party going on in the background, and I couldn't really make out who the people were, but I could see all these people having a great time. And there was this sound. It was like a tinkling, kind of twinkling sound. And all of a sudden, my mother appeared to me. And now my mother, my biological mother, died when I was six months old. And I don't. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So Megan, you knew that was your mother, though, because, you know, at six months old, you don't know who your mother is. So but you knew that was your mother. Yes. And she I've seen pictures of her like I know what she looks like. So she appeared in a form that I recognized from a photo, but just like energetically, I guess I have to say I just knew it was her. And she was reaching towards me like she had her hand out as what I thought was a welcoming gesture. And so I'm going towards her and I'm so excited. I'm like, mom. And, you know, we're not actually using words. It was just like through the mind, Um, I guess, if that's the best way to describe it. And she was like, no. And she held me at arm's length, like didn't actually touch me. And she was kind of irritated. She was kind of mad. She was like, no, it's not your time yet. You have more stuff to do. And she told me, she's like, you have children to have. You have a life to lead. There's a lot you have to learn. There's a lot you have to teach. And I was just like, hold on. You know, I just wanted to get to her. I was so heartbroken that she was like right there and was having this human experience in a very spiritual place. And she was like, you got to go. We were arguing. Like we argued and I could look beyond her and I started to recognize like other relatives who had passed before her, two of my aunts. Oh, wow. um, yeah, like great grandparents, people in the background and, and other people I didn't know. But it's like they had this huge dinner table. And they were on a hillside and there was a field behind them. Like it just looked like the most amazing place um, to be. And again, this sound that I can't I can't put my finger on, like just very comforting. And she was like, you got to go back. And then I started drifting backwards from the tunnel entrance. And I was kind of screaming at her. I was, I was really bad. I just was like, no, you know, I want to stay with you. Wow. And yeah, that's heartbreaking. Then it was, yeah, mm. yeah. And then when I went back far enough and things got black again, I was back in the lake. And then I was zooming up towards the top of the lake. And from this point, it does take place outside my body. So I can see mm-hmm. my boyfriend at the time pulling my body out, putting me onto the beach oh, wow. and starting to do chest compressions. And like, you know, I'd inhaled a lot of water and I'm just kind of watching, you know, from above and from the side, like what's happening here. Well, Still you know, feeling- well, you know, what's, what's really interesting to me is you didn't go right back in. Like your mom said, no, go back. So you, I guess, go back, but you're not in your body yet. So you're still watching everything. And I've never heard that before. That's really crazy. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a strange feeling and experience. So I'm watching that. I think it's because I was so hesitant. Like I really oh, didn't want yeah, to go sense. back. Yeah. And eventually, like when the water, like when he he got the right enough chest compression and the water came out, oh God. And then you're just sucked back into your body so fast. It, um, it's so painful. It would be like, I've never been shot, but like the feeling was, was of that, like so much pain and the inability to, to breathe. It felt like I was dead coming back into my body, right? How we imagine it, the amount of pain. 
And then he was just immediately freezing cold, everything you would feel after drowning. And I was coughing and spluttering and, and shaking and, and totally disoriented. Like I just could not process what had happened. Well, and it's funny it was... because, you know, I've heard more people say when I've interviewed other near-death experiencers saying, I felt more alive when I was not in my body than when I was in my body. So that totally makes sense. And the pain and the denseness that they said they felt, I'm sure. So yeah, you must have been in a lot of pain. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you're just like, I suddenly felt like I had like 900 pound weights on each limb coming back into the body. So, so that was the first experience. And I do happen to know that you do have abilities now. And I don't know if you got those when you had any of your near death experiences, or even during this one, or maybe the other ones, or if you always had them. Um, how, how did that happen? I have always had abilities to see spirits or ghosts or energies, wow. how, however you want to phrase it, uh, since I was a little kid. And it just became enhanced after each of those experiences. And I also think, I think most children do have that experience, but they get kind of shut down. You know, they start telling people and it (laughs) it freaks them out. Um, Even if it's not bad, I've had really 98% very positive experience. I have run into some dark entities, but for the most part, it's been very positive. And it started when I was a toddler. We lived in a really old house. So I think it depends on your environment too. And this woman used to come see me almost every single night and tuck me in. She would read me stories. She would sing to me. And I just accepted it as like, I don't know if I thought I was a fairy godmother or something, (laughs) but she was just keeping her eye on me. But that first experience at 19, Mm -hmm. because I didn't express, I didn't know how to process it. I didn't express it. I wasn't able to talk about it with anyone for Mm -hmm. years. And so I think in a sense, it shut down my abilities until I became more open to it again. So when I had the second experience was when I gave birth to my second daughter. I have two daughters Mm -hmm. and my second daughter was born at home. She came really, really, really fast. Like she was born in an hour and a half. So we we didn't have time to get to the hospital. She was... It's just depending on how much detail you want me to get No, no. You know, it's funny. uh, My daughter, I had her in an hour and a half, but I was actually induced and it happened that fast. They put me on Pitocin and I had her that fast. You were not put on Pitocin and you had your daughter in an hour and a half. I'm impressed with no with no pain meds. So keep going. Yeah, it was just and we I kind of knew from having had the first one like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm in transition now. And, and my husband was home. He was at work, but he came home. Oh, wow. um, and we, we had a doula who was scheduled to meet us at the hospital. And we described what was happening. She's like, you're not gonna make it. So just sit tight. I'll get there as fast as I can. And she oh, hit rush God. hour traffic. Anyway, oh, my most exciting hour and a half. Uh, ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So keep going because the next one happened during this time, right? Yes. So eventually my daughter is successfully born quickly uh, in an hour and a half. And, and, you know, I was bleeding very heavily. That's part of the story. So I was actually hemorrhaging, but we didn't realize it at the time. And so as that continues to happen, the doula and my husband are helping me to kind of get dressed after she's born and get back into bed. And I kept saying to them, I was just like, I can't get warm. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Mm. And they kind of, they were trying to get me from the bathroom back to the bed. And they put one one arm around my husband's shoulders and one arm around Kimberly, our doula. 
And they were like, okay, just walk one step at a time to the bed. And that's the last thing I remember. Everything went black. And I... (laughs) yeah that one was it was scary but I woke up and I was in a hospital and so I look around I was like okay I knew something was wrong I'm glad they like took me to the hospital this is good and then my dad shows up at my bedside and my dad died when I was four years old. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> I know. And I looked up and I'm like, so this is impossible yet. Yeah. You know, he's here. And he was still dressed like it was like 1977. It was crazy. He had on this leather jacket and a turtleneck. And but, you know, I think they do that, though. You know, Megan, I think they do that because that's how you remembered him. So, yeah, you know, they appear to you in the way that you remember them. So it's to me, it's more of a comfort thing. So, yeah, go ahead. Yep. And I did have someone I met later in life tell me that. He's like, they show up how you're most likely to recognize them in a way yeah. mm-hmm. that you won't be afraid because right. you're in this this space that can be so overwhelming. So I'm in this hospital hallway. My dad's there. And I was like, oh, my God, dad. And I started telling him, I'm like, you have another granddaughter. And this and I'm like, you know, catching up like, you yeah, know, we I haven't know. Seen like, each like, other. like, it's just normal. I'm just talking to my dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, he just like put his hands on me. He's like, you're not supposed to be here. And I'm like, okay, but I'm here now. So like, you know, and I I kept trying to to speak with him. And he says, no, I have to get some more people. Don't get up. Just stay here. And he went off down the hall and he came back with this whole team of doctors and nurses. And they start working on me. And I was mad again. I was fighting them. And I said, no, I want to talk to my dad. Like, just give me like a few minutes to talk to my dad. And and he said almost the same thing my mom did. He was like, you are not supposed to be here yet. You have to go back. You have stuff to do. You have your daughters. Like, you got to go back and do that. And I was fighting that tooth and nail, too. And when I came back into the room, so not quite back in my body, same thing. I'm hovering over the bed, and I see Kimberly. And my my husband, Richard, was actually, he was slapping me lightly on the face, you know, because I was unconscious. So she was doing chest compressions, and he was slapping my face, just trying to revive me. And I'm like, oh, And I felt so bad for him because he looked sick, like his face was just green. And I'm like, oh, there must be something really wrong. And I'm just kind of watching as this, like, you know. Because the same thing, Megan, the same thing happened. Like, you didn't go right back in again. You were, like, hanging out watching what was going on. And I, well, you know, and I just, I think it's more like a hesitation of you wanting to go back into that body. You've done it once before and you're like, oh, I got to go back. I got to feel that pain again. I don't know if that even crossed your mind. Um, Did it? Probably. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I held off, I guess is probably the best yeah. way to put it as long as I could. And I felt at that time, it was like one big kind of mother of all chest compressions and a hard slap. And then I was back in the body. And I in my book, I wrote about this and the feeling of coming back into my body in that instance was like swallowing glass. Oh, like no. that first oh, breath. Really? And oh, yeah, just this even the sound of it. When I think of it now, it's it was just so painful. Like coming back into the body to me was way more painful every time than mm. than leaving it. And I think that's the thing that was me avoiding pain coming back in. Whereas I think so many of us walk around in life avoiding pain because we think it's going to come with death when it's I think we've got it reversed. The opposite. Yeah, it's the <laughs> absolute opposite. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So 
Are you okay after that? Or do you have any, you know, do you tell anyone what happened right away? Or do you keep it to yourself again like you did at 19? Well, I spoke with Kimberly and my husband at that time. Mm, but okay. that, but that's it. And it felt so personal because the first experience was with my mom. Second experience was with my dad. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, maybe I just needed to hear that message. And this is a turning point in my life, which, which it was. Like each time it happened, I did make some pivotal decisions because I was like, okay, I've been sent back for a reason. I right. need to make some changes in the life I'm yeah. living. So again, same thing happened here. But I, you know, I didn't talk about it widely, just with the people who were there. And for the third experience, so that was like almost five, about five years later. And I was, my kids were both toddlers at that point, And I'm driving to work and we're living in, in Southern Ontario again in a snow belt mm -hmm. uh, area, heavy, heavy snow, you know, they were like, don't go out if you don't have to. But the job I had at the time, you had to go in and right. open the store. Yeah. So I'm on the highway and I'm per I had a stick shift car. So I was purposely going really slow to try to ease onto the highway. And I hit a patch of black ice oh. and spun out. And mm. so I'm like, okay, I have no control. I just got to like wait till I stop and right. then figure it out. And so when I stopped, I look up and I'm just surrounded by white. And I'm like, I look down, I don't see the road. I'm like, okay, good. I must be on the embankment. And I didn't even have time to look. I look up and the grill of a double tanker truck was in my passenger oh side my window. Like, And I was like, that's it. It was twice <laughs> the height of my car. Like, there's no way. No. In that moment, I just accepted it. I'm like, this is for real now. Right. I'm not going to survive this. And the car spun around a few times and flipped over a couple oh of times. Oh, my God. And when it stopped. Now, me in the car, I'm not aware. I'm just being thrown about, you know, like popcorn in a yeah. bag. Yeah. And eventually comes to a stop because of a concrete barrier mm. um, at the side of the road and had it not been there I would have rolled down a hill that was like on the other side of um, wow. the concrete barrier so this story could have ended very differently yes. but everything the car was crumpled like a pop can but I immediately I want to say shot up like it felt like I was rocket launched into the atmosphere oh, wow. and I was immediately above the car and all of the snowflakes were just like sparkling stars and it wasn't cold anymore and i was like why did i ever think snow was cold it's oh, yeah. just beautiful yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then a movie reel of my life like every positive thing that had ever happened in my life like every memory just started to play just like a never-ending movie reel of happiness and it just like even the feeling of it now when i <laughs> when i have down days i go back to that moment because Aww. It was just every treasured moment from like riding my bike as a kid to dropping off my own children at school to the day that I got married to just like all the wonderful moments stitched together, playing and playing. Wow. It was also a message of you need to remember this, but you also need to share it. But I'm kind of like, well, OK, but like. At this point, I knew I was like, I'm not in my body anymore. And I don't think I can survive this. Like my brain and was still kind of working. Right. And I was up there for a while. I was just up there for a long time. And then I looked down and I did see the car crumpled in the snow. And I started to hear the sound of a man crying. Oh, no. And I was like, okay, it's my funeral. <laughs> like, maybe it's my husband. Oh, no. Like I'm rationalizing everything. Yeah. yeah. 
And suddenly I'm again sucked back down into the car and I'm in this immense pain. So I was just like, oh, I'm not going to swear, but like. No, yeah, you're just like, oh crap, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. How many times can I do this and be in this much pain? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, super painful and all on my right side, because of course that's where the impact was. And I keep hearing this man crying and I'm like, what's going on? So the truck driver who had hit me had stopped and was holding onto my car. He had his palm on the hood of the car and he was sobbing because he was like, she's dead. Like I've, it's an accident, but I've killed this person. And he was just crying and he was praying and he was asking for forgiveness. Actually, it makes me emotional still because he, he was like, yeah, he was just sorry. And anyway, I I said something. I don't remember what I said. And I was like, hey, you're high or something. I'm okay. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Screaming. He was like, oh my God, you're alive. And he's like, let me go call the police again. Because I guess he'd already called them and said that he'd killed somebody. And then he called back. And and what's interesting about that day as well, and I don't think, I do talk about it in my book, but I don't talk to many people about it. This is when I started telling more people about what happened. Mm. The first person I called when I was able to get to safety was my husband at work. And I've never heard the message. I don't know what I said, but he said he saved it for six months because he was just so scared. He said the terror in my voice about what had happened. He was like, I don't know if she's going to live or like, so he flies out of his office to come to the site of the accident or to the hospital, wherever he was going to meet me. And they had just finished clearing my accident and he got into an accident in the exact same spot, same spot on the highway. Both of our cars were totaled that day. Oh my God. I know. How is that? What? You were on the news. They were like, like husband and wife in accidents accidents at the same place. Oh my, what? No idea. It wasn't until we contacted the insurance company and they were like, are you having a domestic incident? Like, and it's <laughs> it's not to joke about it, but they were kind of like, what are the chances of this happening? And then these reporters were trying to talk to us and I was so out of it. All they got is a picture of me sitting, you know, in the back of the car with my head down. Like, it just was, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, clearly his wasn't quite as severe as yours, it sounds like. No, not as severe. Yeah. yeah. Although he did total the car, so that's not great. But okay, so let me ask you this. I'm very curious about the reel that you watched, the movie reel you watched of your life. So do you think that was, uh, and I think you did kind of touch on this, do you think that was them saying you need to, like you said, remember the good times, but do you think that was also a kick in the butt going, you know what, you need to talk about this. You need to tell more people. You need to share your story. Um, that's the whole reason we do this. So because with other near-death experiencers I've talked to, they're like, I want people to understand you don't have to fear death. So is that kind of what you think? Or do you think it's something entirely different? I do think it's that. It's a couple of th- One was just sort of like, you need to come back to these moments when mm-hmm. when the actual pain of daily life gets you down. Come back to this. Like, that's more important than any of that other stuff. And the other part was the sharing. So what was immediately different about this experience, within 48 hours, and um, again, this was 2001, I got on email and I just wrote out the whole experience and just sent it to everybody in, in my email address book. Really? And I provided the link to the news story that had been done. It didn't really even show anything because they didn't get any pictures and we didn't talk to reporters. But 
I was just like, this made the news in case anybody hears about it or looks it up, our names are mentioned. And But I sent it to our relatives. We still lived in Canada at the time, all across the country, and just talked to them about the experience as well that I had of floating up and out of the body, looking down at the car. And I didn't mention the two previous episodes, but I talked about that one. And I was just like, I think this is for all of us. I think we all need to take a really good look at our lives and where we're going, what changes we need to make in order to get where we want to go. Like, I know this is not just for me. Um, So yeah, yeah, I finally (laughs) figured it out that it was time to start sharing after the third one. Absolutely. And you know, how it made you feel when you were there, like you were just in this warm blanket of love, it sounds like, and then Mm -hmm. you're with your family your mom and the first time you're and you saw all the relatives. Now I know you yes, you've seen pictures, but just seeing them like you're still in your physical body in the way you're thinking about that, you know, so you're like, Oh, my gosh, I'm seeing all these people physically, or your dad in his old leather jacket. I mean, do you get up there and because you just had a baby and I always ask people, how did you feel when you were there? And you just had a baby or you have children? You're like, Oh, no, I got to go back. I don't want to leave them. You don't feel like that, do you? I did for a moment with like when I was talking with my dad and I said, you know, you have another granddaughter and this is her name and whatever. He was like, yeah, you got to get back to her. Like you have to raise her. (laughs) But no, I mean, but the urgency in your mind, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I've heard that when people do finally go or they go suddenly or whatever, it's like that place makes it okay to go. Does that make sense? It does. And one of the thoughts that I wrote down about that experience was I had lost my mother so young at six months. And I was like, wow, if I'm gone now, too, like, is this a legacy in our family? Like, are we destined to keep losing our mothers young? And, And if so, why? It was less of an attachment to it than it was just like for some reason, this is if this is meant to happen, maybe it is like, I don't know if this is our family story or or what it is. But yeah, it was kind of it was a very it was a concerning thought, but also an abstract thought. Right. When you were, okay, and you say you've always had abilities, did this broaden your thought on the afterlife and reincarnation and soul contracts? I mean, what do you think about all those things? I absolutely believe that we just continue to go on in another consciousness or type of existence after we pass away. Our attachment to the body and the pain body is so, so heavy. Mm-hmm. Me personally, anybody can have their own thoughts, but I personally believe we will keep coming back until we have figured out that lesson. I absolutely agree with you because I do think that we're here to learn and evolve and um, for our creator, God, whatever you want to call him. And you know, it's funny because so many people are so wrapped up in what they believe and and what they think is the right way and, and how they think theirs is the only way. And I don't think we can, and I've said this before, I don't think we can put God in that box. I don't think we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another, what's a cool thing, and I, I won't say her name, but one of my daughters, when she was little, and this was happening for years, and she didn't say anything to me. And then finally, when she did, I was like, oh, my gosh. So she would be in the bathroom getting ready for school. You know, we'd early drop off because we had to commute. and. Right. They'd have to go to the babysitters and then go to school and she would be like sad, right? Because she's like, I don't, I just want to be at home, you know, with my mommy and and stay in bed and whatever. And so she'd be sad brushing her teeth and my mom would appear to her and tell her it's going to be okay and just stroke her hair and tell her it's fine. And eventually, because I noticed that one day that it was like less hard to, you know, get her up and ready for school. 
And she told me, she's like, oh, it's because Maria comes and sees me. And I was like, what do you mean, Maria? I said, describe her. And so, you know, I've always been open to spiritual things. So I was like, okay, she's got someone watching out. But she didn't know. She was too young. Like, she didn't know the story of my mother. She didn't know her name. She didn't know she had died. And so, (laughs) you know, like a three, four-year-old can't just pull this out of thin air. So I was like, okay. My mom is around and she's she's making sure my girls are okay even when I'm not in the oh, room. See, that's a what a wonderful story. And you know, it's funny. My mother passed away about 5 years ago and I've learned how to kind of communicate with her. I think we all kind of have that ability and I've just practiced and practiced and now I can kind of talk to her now. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but but it's almost like she gained a superpower. Now she's just the incredible invisible woman. <laughs> yes. You know yes. what I mean? I mean <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of what I think. I mean, I'm thinking, you know what? She's still with me. She's still around us all the time. In fact, she's got four kids. She can be with us at all times with all of us at the same time. It's a consciousness more than it is a physical. We, we put everything so physical. Everything is so physical for us. And you've got to get out of that box too and go, no, we're all a collective or something. So how comforting for you to know that she was helping your daughter. Do your daughters have abilities? Do you think like you did? Do you think it passed down? I do, especially with the one that used to see her very often as a kid. She's she's revealed many things to me. Oh, wow. So I know that she has abilities with, with the other one. She hasn't really gotten into it with me. And she kind of, she'll have dreams. Like that's actually my, I feel like that's my strongest superpower. And where I'll, I'll meet with a lot of spirits, family members, friends who have passed on. And it's really powerful. Like I'll wake up and be like, okay, I need to call so-and-so oh, wow. because... I got a message about somebody and that's most often where my parents like a deep meditation will do it too. But really it's, it's my dreams and they wait, you know, they wait until I really need them. My parents, (laughs) they will wait until I'm like, okay, I really need to talk to you. So I'll, I'll talk to them right before I go to sleep and be like, I need to talk to you tonight. Like, come in my dreams and they will show up. Wow. Well, that ability just to do that and and not be afraid to do that. You know, so many people think that this is not, you know, the Christian way or whatever. And, you know, I think people are becoming more open to it. I think what's happening in the world is making people kind of think outside the box a little bit. And I love that because it's not all black and white, but there are some people that really just don't understand it. And and, uh, half the time I don't understand all of it, but I try myself, right? So when was the last one like, was that several years ago? Or was that like fairly recently, the last one you had? Yes, that was like 22 years ago. Okay, okay. And you know, is it true? Now, I don't know if this is true. I have heard from other psychics that I think there are like five exit points throughout your life. Is that right? Oh, well, there's, you know, it's funny. People will joke with me and say, you're like the cat that had nine lives. Yeah. I got into yeah. like, there's been numerous other instances where my life was definitely at risk. And though I maybe didn't realize it in that immediate moment. Now you, you've got me thinking about that right here live as we yeah, no, talk about yeah. it. I've heard it. I don't know if it's true. And that's why I asked because you would have way more knowledge about it than I do. But it makes you wonder, maybe we do have exit points, we have free will, and we can go. Now, I know that your parents said, no, you can't go. And that's okay, too. I just didn't know what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, I think we do. And we can. I mean, that brings up again, the conscious choice, like if someone chooses to end their life, uh, and I had a friend actually just before the holidays um, go that route, someone who was very inspirational to me, and it really threw me for a loop. And I think it does every time something like Absolutely. that. 
happens because every experience that I've had and like other NDEers, it was like this thing that was out of your control. And you're just like, okay, well, and you have this immediate acceptance, like, well, I guess this is this is what's happening. But when it's the flip side of that, to consciously choose that route, that's something that I'm I'm still figuring out like how that works in the grand scheme of things. But I I do believe we have exit points and that we to drill it down into something really tiny, um, that we die a million deaths like every single day, you know, like when someone hurts our feelings or or we make a horrendous choice about something or, you know, the the awful things that happen in the world. It's sort of like these are the little deaths we we choose or don't choose. Yeah, no, it's a great analogy. And I had um, a psychic on not too long ago when we talked about the different levels of the other side, heaven, however you describe it in your world. And, you know, even the people that maybe take their own lives, I think I don't think there's hell. I think everybody goes back to source or creator. I think everybody goes back. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Hitler. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're Dahmer. I don't care who you are. There are different levels. I don't think that you know, you or I would be on the same level as, you know, Charles Manson. Um, And and I do think that some of those people go straight back into utero. And I've talked about that, too. Um, But yeah, but also just the people that unfortunately take their own lives. I think a lot of that's just a mental illness. And God doesn't judge them. And I think they have every opportunity to come back and see what they can do to to fix that you know, whatever it was. And but I do think we get derailed. And I do think we do things that weren't in our life path. I listened to your episode with Vicki Button. And I was like, I really resonated with what she said about being on a she was with a client and was like on a lower energy level. And when they were in that space, and I thought, ooh, like the very, it got me thinking about that. Like I said, most of my experiences have been positive. But what's interesting in real life, like I've been in, in rarely, I would say less than 10 times, where I've been in a public space. One time was at a market. Uh, like a food market one time was at a mall sometimes it's just walking by somebody on the street and I will see something that they've done and and their demise oh, wow. and and I don't know this person right it's a complete and total stranger but the amount of terror and fear like my whole body instinct is just like get out of here now because it's it's just downloaded kind of all at once and I'm like, wow. and I, I don't see that person as like a living entity anymore. I have to, I have to move away because there's a danger of, and they know as soon as they see me and see me, see them, really? they like, I've had people follow me and just be like, they, what? it's, it's very strange. It's very, very strange. Wow. Um, but that, <laughs> I know that has not happened often and I don't want to encourage it because I feel like you need to have certain protective measures in place, whether it's somebody who's, who's mentally ill or has a, a violent criminal history, but it all becomes very clear to me. Um, and like I said, it's rare. It doesn't happen too often. Wow. But for the majority of time, it'll just be every once in a while that I'll meet somebody and I just get a, a good or a bad feeling about them. Like, is this, you know, a friendship or something that I should pursue? Or it's almost like your internal radar system. And so that's the part with dark energy. And the same thing, that house that we lived in when I was growing up where we, I saw so many spirits. I mean, it was a whole family. Wow. And they were generally very positive. They were just very curious. Like the little kids wanted to play. The parents were just going about doing their stuff. They wore old clothes. I'd say it's sometime in the 1800s. You know, it was very formal. But there were kind of darker entities that were also in some parts of the house. And I just learned to avoid them. 
Like wow. if I didn't go into that room or into that space, then I could stay away from that. And they didn't seem to really infiltrate the rest of my world. And that's kind of the analogy I take for the world now for everybody. So whether you have like intuitive or psychic abilities or not, like use your sense of what feels like is pulling you in a positive direction and be aware of the negative energies. Like trust your gut when something's like, oh, something doesn't feel right or I don't trust that. Like you may not have like a movie reel of something horrible this person did, you know, at your beck and call, but you can probably get a sense of, of whether you should spend more time in this environment or around this particular person, that kind of thing. Right. And do you think those people that were hanging around that house, do you think they were, well, they couldn't have been residual because they were intelligent. Why were they there? Do you think they were visiting? Do you think they were stuck there together? What do you think? I think they, do you know what's going to sound funny? Do you remember the movie, The Others? Yes. <laughs> With Nicole. Yes, K- and I talk about that film all the time. Like we're their ghosts. Yeah. Yes. And when I watched that, I was like, oh, I think that's exactly what was happening at that house because only my sister and I could see them. And the the adults were all like, this is your imagination. Like, what's, I don't know what's (laughs) wrong with you. Stop talking about that. And and we were like, no, like, how do you not understand that this is happening? I totally understand what you're saying. So they were probably just, I don't know if they all died as a family together. And maybe it was a tragedy. I don't even know if you know what happened to them, but for them to all be together in the one house is curious. Yes, it really is. The house itself, I keep trying to do research on it. I know it was featured in Architectural Digest at one point. And so I keep trying to find the issue because it was after we lived there that it was featured. And it was for renovations that were done and because it's this historical home. But I'd really love to actually go back to the town and figure out if I could do an extensive history uh, yeah. really on who lived there. Yeah, that that alone is another episode for me. So, <laughs> right? But no, so back to your near-death experiences. So each one was a little similar in the way that you came back to your body. And that's very interesting to me. Like the first time your mother said, no, you need to go back. So you really didn't spend a ton of time there. You just saw your mom and some relatives and then she kind of pushed you back and then you watched your boyfriend pretty much revive you and then you came back into your body. And then the second time you had your baby and unfortunately, you know, you got very sick very fast and they were reviving you in the hospital, your dad appears in his lovely leather jacket and tells you, no, you can't be here. And I I didn't ask you, you didn't talk to anybody else. You didn't get to talk to any religious symbol that you might go by, or you didn't really get to experience like this Garden of Eden or anything like that. It was just your dad. And then he sent you back and then you're watching them revive you. And your husband was gently slapping your little cheek and, and trying to get you to wake up. And then the third time that was different. That to me was a lot different. And it was almost like, this is your sign to tell everyone the story and tell everyone there is something to look forward to after we die, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. I think, yeah, those first two messages were probably just for me, just like, just keep going. You know, everybody has a life story. There's There's been a lot of trauma and heartache there. And I think yeah. the loss of my parents was kind of the foundation for that. Right. So them, I've always missed them. And, and it was like the reassurance that they are out there still. They are still watching over me. And that's and what I they, love. That's what I love. I know my mom's watching over me. And the fact that your parents are still, they're still here. They're just, they've got a superpower. They're invisible. That's all. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. I mean, or at least I like to think that way. But um, 
let me ask you this. I know you are also a yoga instructor teacher, and you also have a podcast. Tell me about some of that. And, and you've written a book. Tell me a little bit about those things. Oh, sure. So yoga is what I have found when I'm practicing and teaching, frankly, mm-hmm. yoga is the closest I can feel to the mm-hmm. state that I felt nice. when I was on the other side. And it's just that like, yeah. Like your cells just dissolve into, you know, everything is together. Like you're one of those snowflakes. Like in that third oh. experience, it was like, how did I ever think snow was cold? I, it's I, just yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> it's and all that's, relative, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like when I'm teaching and practicing, that source is speaking through me, that oh. I was called to do that, to help share that experience. Nice with other people. And I've had so many people that I don't know, you know, people that come to class and they're, they're strangers to me virtually and say, I don't know what it is. But every time I take your class, I end up having a message from my from my mother, I actually get a lot of mother energy. Um, Yeah. And people just connect, or they found themselves thinking of a brother that passed away. And, you know, they'll message me on social media or email me to just be like, Oh, when are you teaching again, the pandemic, you know, it's disrupted everything. But um, that's one of the things that I so wanted to share that with people because putting that kind of energy and possibility out there is me sharing that with other people. And so the book, same thing, it's called The End of Me, was published in 2019, coming up on three years. And I just felt like this is a way to share with with other people. I provide some exercises in there for people to kind of tap into their own energies and start to explore. That's the question I get asked a lot is, how to become more intuitive and how to dream more. There's a lot of people who tell me that they don't dream at all. So they're like, how can I learn to dream and and remember my dreams? And then with the podcast that came out of my yoga audio, because I wasn't able to teach when the pandemic first started, everything shut down. So I had a dream about it, actually. And it was me practicing yoga. (laughs) Yeah. And having this voice in my ear, like someone just telling me in my ear and I wasn't looking at a screen. I was just listening to the sound of the voice. I thought, oh, I would love to do that. So I'm going to make it and I'm going to share it with other people. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And now I interview people too. That's the majority of it is actually just finding amazing people like you and people who are just doing really wonderful things in life. Artists, creatives, wellness entrepreneurs, And sharing that with the world. But there's, you know, there's meditation practices and and yoga practices too. Yeah. Well, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to add your link tree to my show notes because I want everyone to check out Megan Morgan's yoga, her books, and anything else that she can provide for people to to help everyone just if nothing else to just meditate and just calm down. In this pandemic, we're all so... It's, it's not getting better. It just seems to be getting worse every every day. And having that safe place to go sounds like something that um, you can provide for them. So Megan, I have been so happy to have you on my podcast. You've been so interesting. And it's amazing to me how everyone's near-death experience can be so different, but still the same every single time. So thank you so much for being on my podcast. Leslie, thank you. You're just, it's been a joy to talk with you and I've been listening to your episodes, just loving all your guests. It's such a community of of kindred spirits, and I really appreciate you. 
Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.